Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that doesn't focus on declinism as its listenership couldn't possibly get any smaller. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and this week, as many complain, the Prime Minister and world's saddest bottle-opener Rishi Sudak took too long to sack, look, someone's drawn on a knee, Nadim Zahawi, I think actually it really humanises the Prime Minister, knowing that like the rest of us, he got tax warnings in October and waited till the very end of January to do anything about it. Last week, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists moved the doomsday clock 10 seconds closer to midnight. And not just because, you know, they're sick of all this shit and they thought they'd put the wind up people. I'd definitely do that if I was employed there. You know, watch the news and then think, fuck this, I'll move the dial to one second to midnight without saying why and watch as everyone shits themselves to teach them a lesson before making sure as it hits 12, a cuckoo pops out laughing hysterically and a banner drops down from above saying, joke, we're already living in the worst case scenario of humanity and have been for years. But this move to ever nearer the end of humanity is apparently down to the real state of things. The increasing of many countries' nuclear capabilities, the threats of biohazards, the climate crisis, that kids are spending 15 quid on a can of Prime, which is like shit LucasAid, and that some scientists keep pissing about with the doomsday clock because they can't remember how far to pop out the dial for minutes or seconds or the date. What is odd, though, is that no one has mentioned how this closeness to the demise of our species occurred at pretty much the same time as Rishi Sunak's 100th day in office. Coincidence? Well, yes, but also probably not, because within those 100 days, the Prime Minister has presided over a number of incidents that, while they might not be the direct cause of human extinction, definitely make most of us here in the UK want to curl up and die. Have Sunak's first 100 days been calm or cringe, said the BBC News website bleating out chirpy headlines as the chair no doubt sends them daily memos to be nice to his pals or else. Well, they've been too catastrophic and depressing to be calm and too catastrophic and depressing to be cringe, so I'd say neither, but also definitely shit and terrible and the worst. Rishi Sunak and the cabinet rushed off to an away day at Chequers last week to discuss how they turn around his dismal poll ratings and I can only assume they went there as it's easier to say by getting rid of all these worst people in the world as a cabinet and then resigning if, you know, you're in a stately home with a load of booze paid for by us taxpaying idiots. 
I am, of course, just having wishful thinkings about what the solution should indeed be, but then I guess I'm not too far off, as from the ashes of that away day, Sunak decided it was finally time to fire chair of the party, Nadim Zahawi, meaning it was actually the opposite of a team-building excursion. The Prime Minister waited until his ethics adviser had investigated Zahawi's large-scale avoiding of tax, like it was an unwanted love child and he was a former Prime Minister, and the adviser took all of about five minutes to go, yes, this man is a big old wrong'un. Zahawi breached ministerial code a total of seven times, according to the report, which meant he had to go. Gutting for him, as if he'd only broken it five or six times for, you know, breaching national security or something as pitiful as that, he'd probably have just been moved to another department or given a knighthood. Zahawi, as you can expect, took this sacking with the good grace he is known for and responded with a letter that gave zero apology for unpatriotic criminal acts and instead blamed the media for reporting about it in the first place. Yeah, see, it is funny to think that if no one had ever reported that Zahawi found a way to stick his not-very-hard-earned cash anywhere but British coffers, then he might not have done it. Because that's how it works, right? It's like the quantum mechanics principle of the observer effect, isn't it? If we all just ignored that for years Zahawi has been skilled at finding many ways to be corrupt, then perhaps he'd have just been upholding his ministerial positions correctly and his horses would be cold all year round. Zahawi's letter praised how he'd arrived in the UK fleeing persecution and speaking no English before building a successful business and being elected to government, and he believes in no other country would this be possible. Ah yes, the true dream, the real story of success, and if only all those refugee children arriving in the UK today also had rich parents that could charter their own plane over and pop them in a private school immediately, then maybe the Home Office wouldn't lose them so they'd have to spend their lives as drugs mules and could instead simply enter the murky underworld of tax evasion and lobbying all by themselves. It is possible that now Zahawi's been sacked from the front bench, and that is a fact, that he may well go around threatening to sue anyone who says that's what's happened as he still turns up to work as chair every day. Or perhaps he'll use this newfound time as a backbencher to spend more time with his family. Trust fund. Sunak was apparently informed back in October about Zahawi using his time as Chancellor to blag himself the best deals, but the government is now saying no, actually he didn't know and he can't be held accountable for things that happened before he was Prime Minister. Yes, that is fair because there was that whole time when Sunak had absolutely zero to do with government apart from being Chancellor in it and then an MP for the party that was in it. And then that definitely wasn't his fault and once Prime Minister he put Zahawi back in his cabinet despite clearly everyone knowing he was a tax escapologist extraordinaire. In fact, no one should ever hold Rishi Sunak accountable for anything, as it's clear he hasn't got a fucking clue what's going on at the best of times, doesn't know how to use a contactless card, uses someone else's car, probably has no idea what the date will be tomorrow, what a mongoose is, and we, as the public, should really expect even less from our country's leader, as it's just not fair to put so much responsibility on him. The Prime Minister says he acted pretty decisively, and I suppose yes, he did, you know, in comparison to loads of other issues he's just not even bothered with at all. He was decisive about Zaking's he was decisive about sacking Zahawi in the same way someone who finishes the London Marathon last is still quicker at running it than someone who didn't take part at all because they're dead. Zahawi is still an MP and a Conservative MP at that, with Sunak being pressured to remove the whip from him too. But the issue is, if the Prime Minister sets the precedent of expelling all Conservatives who breach ministerial code from the party, then there'll be absolutely no one left. I mean, look over there. Yes, there. No, that's not an unfinished clone trying to push its face through an artificial womb sack. It's the Justice Secretary, Dominic Raab, who now has over 24 allegations of bullying made against him. 24? 24! That's not just the odd bit of misinterpreting tone or the occasional bad day. That is Raab having bullying as a primary job, while Cabinet Minister MP and likely the 4,000 other jobs he's got all get a backbench seat next to Zahawi. 
24 allegations. Is it his real passion, do you think? Is Rob going home every night to Google new ways to torment people in the way you or I might look up recipes? I bet he's signed up to all sorts of specialist forums where they share, today I shouted in someone's face while treading on their toes, or I managed to tie a civil servant's shoelace into the paper shredder and stole their lunch money for my pret as they tried to escape. Dominic Raab is currently under investigation over these allegations because, as we know, Rishi Sunak can't fire anyone or, well, do anything without an investigation, despite how obvious the action he should take is. It's highly likely he has to have a full-scale investigation to work out what to have for dinner, even if it's sitting there in front of him with a note on to reheat, or get an independent advisor just to let him know if he should pop to the loo when he's so full of piss he can't move without wincing. As well as the investigation into Rob, there's also the one the Privileges Committee are conducting on the guy that made corruption in office even more popular than before, former Prime Minister and what happens when you leave rice pudding out for too long, Boris Johnson, and his potential deliberate misleading of Parliament over Partygate. Yeah, I've said potential there, but we all know the only way he'll be off the hook on this one is either because he's made members of the committee peers or because they do genuinely believe he's so stupid he could have been unaware he was at a party while attending it. Will there be then another investigation into Johnson giving his donor and Rishi Sunak's former boss, Richard, I look like I'm permanently baked sharp, the BBC chair job, not long after also awarding the company he has lots of shares in a whole ton of Covid contracts? Johnson said that he's ding-dang sure Sharp knew nothing about his personal finances, which is the sort of phrase only an absolute dickhead would say, and also blatantly untrue as Sharp spoke to Johnson's guarantor about his finances a month before interviewing for the Beeb job. But then there's every chance Johnson lies to his guarantor too, so hey, maybe he's right and Sharp knew absolutely nothing. He does strike me as the kind of guy who'll swindle everyone he knows, and at his funeral a lot of people will suddenly realise that they're all still owed money. Is this scrutiny into the Sharp appointment that means Johnson is dancing around trying to get into the limelight again while Sunak's poll ratings are low? He's been insisting Russian president and second-hand gelatin mould Vladimir Putin threatened him with a missile strike in the run-up to the attack on Ukraine, but then I guess friends will bounce while drinking together, won't they? Boris Johnson has reportedly received £510,000 in advance for an upcoming book too, which his publishers say will be a memoir like no other. Yeah, because you don't usually get autobiographies that are completely works of fiction, and also somehow an airport trash novel. It's a lot of money considering that Johnson still hasn't finished his book on Shakespeare that he was paid to write, but maybe the publishers knew that by handing over that cash to him, they'd end up in charge of the land registry or something. But who in the Conservative Party doesn't have a cupboard riddled with skeletons, some very likely literally? The Home Secretary and escapee pawn from the chess set in Alice Through the Looking Glass, Suella Braverman, can now add to her long list of being accused of bullying, committing national security breaches, international law breaches and condemning people to inhumane conditions with enabling a lot of children to get lost. Nasha from the Beano looks unwell and Environment Secretary Therese Kofi was dealing prescription drugs to her family. Anemic Hamster and Business Secretary Grant Shapps has loads of fake identities for online scamming. And I'm almost certain Goblin from Middle Earth, Oliver Dowden, has eaten human flesh. Probably. I mean, look at him. It's only the health secretary whose record is okay, and I say that just because I can't remember who he is in order to look him up. Sam Bickley? Seb Barclays? No, it's, it's gone again. Sorry. It is funny to think that when Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister, as voted in by means that would only be seen democratic in a country where no one got to have a say at all, so these four millionaires chipping in is basically freedom for the people, he promised in his first speech integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level. And so far, he's not managed any of those. But then maybe I'm judging it wrong. As a criminal faction, the government have got great integrity and professionalism with accountability to each other that once you're in the tax-dodging bullying club, you don't talk about being in the tax-dodging bullying club. 
The Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, with his eyes like he'd be the first person you'd see if you woke up in a Twilight Zone story, he somehow forgot he bought a load of luxury flats he didn't declare, if you remember that a few years ago. It was, he said at the time, an honest mistake, which, like Zahari's carelessness, is the sort of thing you say when someone's caught you out and you're not very skilled at acting. On Friday, Jeremy Hunt set out his vision for long-term prosperity in the UK, which seemed to be mainly by telling everyone to stop being gloomy and start being optimistic, which is a bit like a vet telling a dog it's about to put down that, hey, give us a smile, it might never happen. Jeremy Hunt set out the four E's, which explains his mad beady eyes and unsubstantiated optimism, as well as his need to massage the damage caused by Brexit. Enterprise, Education, Employment and Everywhere, which is easily the worst sequel to the recently Oscar-nominated film. These are supposedly the keys to economic growth, though you could mistake them just as an incomplete list of the areas the Conservatives are underfunding. And yes, I said everywhere. Everywhere is one of them. Just be, I don't know, everywhere, which might be possible if the Enterprise was one with a warp drive. Though actually what Hunt meant by everywhere was signal how levelling up should happen everywhere, and based on the latest batch of funds means Hunt doesn't have a clue anywhere exists outside of Rishi Sunak's own constituency. The main brunt of the Chancellor's plan is that Brexit will help us all be risk-takers, because I suppose that's how you get when you've got nothing left to lose. We will somehow become a world leader in green energy, presumably as once the rest of the world sees our new coal mine and rivers full of shit, they'll employ all their tech to us first, like closing a hellmouth to stem a worldwide outbreak of vampires. Hunt said he wants to turn the UK into the next Silicon Valley, so I'm guessing by that he means a mostly white male workforce that spends its days finding new ways to spread misinformation. In other news, former Health Secretary Matt Hancock, who I'm certain has seriously looked into getting his own branded tote bag, was assaulted on the London Tube, which is odd as I was certain he'd have ensured he had a protective ring around him at all times. It's been discovered that Matt Hancock has only donated 3% of his fee for appearing on I'm a Celebrity to charity, despite promising before that he'd give his whole fee. But I guess this is similar to his promise of giving the job his all when in the Cabinet and instead spending 97% of his time shagging in a corridor. Matt Hancock might well need the cash, though, as dressed-up root vegetable Andrew Bridgerton has threatened to sue him for his remarks over Bridgerton's comments comparing the Covid vaccine to the Holocaust. Yes, this is one of those weird instances where Matt Hancock isn't the worst person in the situation, and yet I do also hope there's a legal way they can both lose horrendously. Over on the opposition, the Labour Party have seized the moment as Sunak fired Zahawi by really sticking to the government and telling everyone how their own party was actually terrible. Labour leader and worried Brit Keir Starmer said ex-leadership under star of old Jack's boat Jeremy Corbyn allowed hate to spread within Labour. You know, the ex-leadership that Starmer was part of. So luckily now under Starmer that was part of the ex-leadership that he was now complaining about, he's going to make sure that all that hate will go around society instead and is only targeted towards refugees and poor people. There have been a number of Labour ministers who've insisted on saying their previous manifestos for the 2017 and 2019 elections under Corbyn weren't costed, which is weird as they were. And in fact, it was regularly brought up at the time as the Tories absolutely wasn't and they didn't bother. But then maybe what the current Labour Party mean is that none of the policies in those manifestos were specified by which arms dealer was going to lobby them to push it through like all their future ones will be. It doesn't bode well when Labour ministers are hoping to get into government but can't even research their own manifesto from four years ago. I did it in like two minutes on Google. Then again, maybe by having zero clue about anything and making it up as they go along, they are again, and wow do I make this joke every week, ready for government by just following in the Conservatives' footsteps. 
Jacob Rees-Mogg, known for his famous roles in most children's nightmares, has been given a job on the only channel where the adverts the intellectual high point, GB News, hosting a show where they will discuss the hot topics of the day. Though it hasn't specified which day, so I assume it will be a December in 1873. Meanwhile, on the other somehow worse channel that's supposedly news but seems more like a YouTube that you'd watch to see people have endless accidents, Talk TV, they've given Nadine Dorries her own show, despite her being the kind of moron who could get lost putting on a jumper. Her first guest will be Boris Johnson, so it's very possible that Talk TV could lose their broadcasting licence immediately by showing such gratuitous arse-licking live. Still, there is something nice about knowing exactly where Mog and Dorries will be at specific times of the week, so you can make sure you definitely avoid them. Considering both channels have fewer viewers than people who voted Rishi Sunak to be PM, I think it'd be a lot better for the country if Mog and Dorries were given all-day broadcasts seven days a week. Hey, 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 Parpobrods. How goes it on this uh, currently sunny Monday that I'm recording this? I hope you're having a dandy week. Um, And I want you to know that I spent ages and ages this week trying to think of a joke about Rod Stewart insisting we need a Labour government. And I decided to spare you every possible horrific result of strained versions of Have I Told You Lately I Won't Vote Blue? Uh, That was one that, that, that one went quickly. Downtown train strikes that didn't even make sense. Look, none of them worked. And um, just just be thankful uh, that I've avoided it altogether. Uh, you are very welcome. That's how much that's how much I care about you guys. Um, so, a bit of an announcement this week. Uh, not that I number them anymore, uh, but this week's show is episode 299, if you don't count sort of bonus ones, new Stradamus ones, and all the other odd ones in between. Uh, and that means I've got an announcement to make. <laughs> Next week's episode, uh, 300, the big 300, is going to be the last partly political broadcast podcast. No, stop cheering. No, stop it. You're meant to be sad, not relieved. Fuck's sake. Stop it. Stop cheering. I've got a message to say. Stop it. Um, yeah, so it might sort of seem like that's come out of the blue, but I've been thinking about it for ages, for ages and ages and ages, and then things happen. I keep deciding that not to quit it, but I thought I've got to get to 300. Uh, that's That's been my goal. Um, and uh, it's a big old milestone. Uh, episode 300 will be over seven years of my life, over 6,000 minutes of gags and material, which is just silly. And however many minutes of interviews, I didn't bother working them out. Some episodes didn't have them and I couldn't be bothered. And even more minutes of stressing how the hell to describe whatever politician this week. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be it, uh, sort of. It's for a number of reasons. Um, I'm not going to bore you with all of them. One of them is, is sort of sadly that the shitty cost of living just means that I can't take two days a week doing this show anymore. I really need to earn uh, money on those days uh, as well, or at least use it as time off to see my family. Apparently I have one, uh, which is ridiculous, isn't it? And they like seeing me, which is really selfish. Um, so that's that's one reason. Uh, but also, I think I'm just really struggling to find new ways to say exactly the same things every week of, oh, they're still corrupt and lying. Um, it's been harder and harder to get guests and it's taking up more time trying to find them and, and people cancelling last minute. And also, thanks to this not being filled with Love Island celebrities every week, it's just very, very hard to promote it on my budget of zero funds or time or the amount that Facebook just makes me swear in general um it's it's tricky so i just feel if i can't do this show properly and take the time over it that i want to then i shouldn't do it at all um and while i do love doing this i don't love doing it as much as i used to it's become it's become more stressful than fun um 
Also, I think for my own sanity, I really need to watch the news less, go on social media less, go outside more, talk to trees a bit more often. Um, I'm having a bit of a change with all the things I'm doing in my life at the moment. I haven't done a stand-up gig for adults since last July, uh, and I thought I'd miss it, and I don't. I really like not driving around very late at night <laughs> all over the country. Um, and instead, I, I'm, I'm writing, and I'm writing things for kids that aren't about how unbelievably bleak everything is. So I'm going to focus on that for a while while it seems to be working for me. Um, um, I think the aim with this podcast originally, uh, and, I, and I'll, I'll probably talk about this more next week, but it's, it started out as a, as a kind of, it was a YouTube thing. You can, you can still find them all somewhere. It was it was online. You could see my face. And then it was a podcast, and it's it was going to be about finding ways to make this absolute shit show of British politics funny, um, but also, very importantly, getting to interview people who you don't normally get to hear on the two-minute news sound bites, getting to actually explain things. And I hope, I hope I've managed to do that a bit uh, with this show. Um, but I'm also aware that because of that kind of ideal, uh, it never quite fit into the news section of Apple Podcasts because it's um, it's too comedy for that. It never really fitted into the comedy bit because it's too newsy and it, it fitted into a very niche group. So it's I've never quite managed to do with it what, what I wanted to. Um, but I'm definitely going to now try and think of how else I can be really proactive about the shit state of politics. I sort of feel like I'm, I'm spending more time on this every week finding terrible ways to describe politicians than actually doing anything proactive in in helping uh any of the movements that, that are getting stuff done um so so that's going to be it for a while I, I am of course incredibly grateful that you will listen i'll do i'll do all my big platitudes thanking people next week but uh you know thank you thank you for listening and sticking up uh, sticking with this over the years thank you especially to everyone who's donated um which in particular was a big lifesaver during the pandemic i don't say that lightly it genuinely was you genuinely you genuinely enabled to pay my rent uh, while i had no work um, I'll be turning off the Patreon after next week's show and any recurring Kofi payments, but I will leave ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro open. Um, if you fancy throwing me a coffee, uh, th- give me, give me, how about, how about 10 quid per, per episode? 300 of them. That'll be fine, right? Um, yeah, I, I might also change the, the Kofi to be in my name. I'll work it out. I'll do something. Uh, but that'll still go for a bit. Um, thank you to all of you who've reviewed the show or just got in touch or recommended guests. And I also, I'm going to say it on this week before next week, um, but very big apologies to to these people that I was hoping to interview and didn't manage to sort it out and then decided to quit the show before I got a chance. So very sorry to Kat Brown. Um, I was planning to talk to her about her upcoming book, No One Talks About This Stuff, um, which looks uh, brilliant and very moving and important. Go check that out. Uh, to Patrick Barwise and Peter York, uh, I was planning to interview about their book, The War Against the BBC, which I only just got in the post yesterday. Um, sorry, Patrick and Peter. Um, it is a very fascinating book so far. And also to Nick Ballard at The Brilliant Acorn, I was hopefully like trying to interview this week and it didn't work out um, but go support all of them Acorn absolutely fantastic do give them your support too um, and look this it's going to be the last episode next week but it may well come back it may well come back for specials especially if there is actually an election at some point um, or if I just get bored which I probably will um, I may decide to sort of bring it back monthly I, I don't know yet I haven't decided so do stay subscribed for a while and see what happens of course I'll leave all these episodes up too and of course next week will be the big 300 where I'm going to do there'll be things there'll be things happening there so after that bombshell that big announcement um, and stop cheering stop cheering you won't hear the rest of the episode stop it stop cheering stop feeling relieved it's not fair um, after that uh, there is an interview on this week's show with independent councillor Ashley Baxter which I think is a great last chat to have on this show so I hope you enjoy <laughs> In the 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Contradictive space that is my own head. I both can never understand why decent people don't run to be elected politicians, but I also can't work out why anyone would put themselves through being an elected politician without having some sort of serious head trauma. Similarly, when I see an independent candidate on a ballot paper, I both think, well done for standing up outside of the failing party system, and we need more people who aren't affiliated to the corrupt institutions that keep letting us all down, but I also think, ah, well, they won't win, so there's no point in voting for them. Which is, of course, ridiculous and self-defeating, much like the current political choice we seem to have. Don't get me wrong, there are some independent candidates who have one billboard up on an A-road saying weird stuff like if you vote for them they'll purge the area of demons, ban shoes and make every shot play the music of Barbara Streisand. But then there are also lots and lots of candidates who, much like you or I, see how bloated and selfish the main parties are and would like to proactively do something to actually help the area they live in, despite knowing they'll be given very little press or backing in comparison to other candidates who've just been parachuted in with the hope they'll at some point get lobbied by their favourite oil company. Currently, to be an independent MP in the House of Commons, your best bet is to join a party and then do something to either breach the rules or fall out with them whilst there. However, on a local level, there's a genuine chance that by standing up for what you actually believe in and having a good amount of local people know who you are, you might get a seat on the council. In 2021, 35 councils in England and Wales ended up with an independent council leader. 69 have an independent councillor on their administration and 307 authorities, or 92% of the total number of councils in England and Wales, have an independent councillor. So, are we now in the era of avoiding party politics to go for politics that are all about avoiding the party and choosing to do your own thing instead? Which is always my preferred choice when it comes to social occasions too. In this seemingly pointless two-horse system, getting on a bicycle and taking a different route altogether might well be a valid solution. What is likely the final interview on this podcast, I spoke to Ashley Baxter, an independent councillor for Market and Deeping District Council, and someone who I've actually spoken to for many years thanks to this very show. Ashley has, as you'll hear, been actually standing up for people in his area against the majority Conservative Council, and after listening to him, hopefully you'll decide that it's worth you following in his path. Not literally, that would be creepy, you know, I mean like being an independent councillor too. I asked Ashley all about what he has to go up against as an independent councillor, why everyone should run to be an independent candidate in the May elections, and if this means he should get his own supply of biscuits that he doesn't have to share. Okay, not the last one, but I should have asked him that, and I now really regret not doing so. 
I hope you enjoy this chat, apart from all the bits where you hear about money being pointlessly wasted, which I hope infuriates you enough to stand yourself. Here is Ashley. Ashley, it's really nice to have you on the podcast. I, what's, what's the phrase? It's sort of a long-time listener, first-time interviewee. Um, but I have thoroughly appreciated uh, over the years your your correspondence. I guess I'm very formal now. Your correspondence about the podcast um, and uh, many of your tales uh, of counselling. Um, but for the for the sake of the other listeners, um, can we can we start at the top? You're a counsellor in Market and West Deeping. How long have you done that for? What type of council is it? What what are the basics that we need to know? Okay, um, in 2007, I was co-opted without an election onto Deeping St. James Parish Council. In 2011, I got onto Market Deeping Town Council, which is the village next door. Uh, In 2015, I was elected to South Kestevan District Council. South Kestevan District Council. You'll hear a lot about that probably later on. Uh, and in, I, I retained my seat in 2019. And then in 2021, I was elected to Lincolnshire County Council. So you've got a parish, a town, a district and a county. So what does that, I am always rubbish at understanding what all the different councils mean and do the different types. So what does that mean that as a councillor, you are in charge of or what your duties are? Sadly, I'm not in charge of anything. Um, between the, the councillors on, so let's concentrate on, on the district council. Between the councillors on the district council, there are, there are 56, and the council is responsible for housing, uh, council housing, uh, planning and development. So um, when people want to build a conservatory or they want to build a block of flats or a factory, that's our responsibility to say yes or no. Uh, the uh, bins, Everybody gets the bin emptied, and then we've got some other kind of quasi areas where we're a bit involved. So, so health and mental health and promotion, and then we can we can do other things like put up statues statues of Margaret Thatcher, uh, which South Stephen has done. Um, I didn't vote for that. I'll have you know, uh, but yeah. So so we can do lots of things, but the things that people will recognise are planning, housing and collecting the bins yeah bins is now, always, always the bins. collecting the bins not disposing of the waste uh you're if you're in a two-tier organization like mine the district council collects the waste and then they give it to the county council who dispose of the waste it's not complicated not at all no but, it's but it, it, as, as you're both so you're both you're on the district and the council and the parish all at the same time no no sorry i I packed up the town council because it because it was awful. It, it was a dominated by personalities, lots of infighting, lots of kind of uh, small p politics, and and it, it was. I, I was becoming as bitter as the people around me, so I I packed it in because I, I thought I'm part of the problem. I'll go and be part of the problem in a different place. <laughs> Well, well, this is what I wanted to ask you, because I, I think and I've always had a kind of rule on this podcast, which I've broken several times. So it's not really a very good rule, but it was about not to have party politicians because I get very bored of towing the party line. But what I've always very much respected about you is you're an independent councillor. You're in an area that's been predominantly conservative for quite a while now. Am I, am I right about that? Or is that? Yeah, it depends which level you look at. Uh, so, yes, I, I knew about this rule. That's why I didn't volunteer for ages, because I thought, oh, he doesn't have politicians and I'm kind of a politician. 
Uh, but then I heard you had a, then I heard you you joined a party, the um, Monster Raven Looney Party. Uh, or, <laughs> I, I did, I, I did for my shame. I love uh, them. And then you had a Lib Dem, and I thought, Crumbs, that's the final straw. I've got to put myself forward. Um, so, what was the question again? <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna ask him. Um, I should say, Lib Dem was an exception, and that was again to talk about councils. But um, you know, I'm what, what I wanted to talk to you, you know. I wanted to know what it was like being an independent and what made you stand, what, what made you choose to be independent rather than do it as part of a party force and okay. did, uh, surely made it much harder to do and to stand. Yeah, I, th- I thought so. I, I was involved in the student union when I was younger and I did, wasn't involved in a party. And then I thought I want to get into politics, but I want to do what I believe in. And so at a young age, I joined the green party uh, and I, I, I was with it because I'm, I'm as much against the impending catastrophes of climate change as most people. And so I, I was with the Green Party for about 20 years and I stood at every level. I, I, I stood for the city council in Nottingham. I stood for the I stood for Parliament three times. I stood for the European Union, remember that? Uh, and didn't get anywhere. And it, and it was a lot of hard work to to kind of bring the party machine with me because the Green Party doesn't or didn't have a big machine at that time. Uh, and then there were some things that, that the Green Party started stating as policy, which I didn't agree with. Uh, and I was in uh, Lincolnshire and I thought, well, I've knocked on enough doors now saying vote for Ashley, he's the Green Party. Let's try voting, knocking on doors and saying vote for Ashley, he's independent. Because what I want to do is affect political change. And a lot of people can't see past the party rosette. And so when you knock on the door, if you're wearing a green rosette or a red rosette or a blue rosette, people immediately know what they think about you. And they know and you're supposed to defend the policies of the rosette. Well, I don't I don't want to. And, and I think a lot of people who are actually wearing the rosette don't want to, especially with the cycle, because the, the, the Tories at the moment, there's a lot of people wearing a blue rosette at the moment that don't want to defend the policies of the, of the blue rosette. But their political uh, future, whether it's in Parliament or in the council chamber, depends on them wearing that rosette. So it becomes a hindrance. There shouldn't be, I don't know if I've always believed this, but but now I certainly do, there shouldn't be party, big P party politics in local government. Well, I, I, well, I, I, actually, I want to ask you about that in a minute, but I just want to sort of check that being an independent, do you have issues like I'm guessing you don't have the fu- you don't have party funding, you don't have that kind of. Well, it, does it, that make it hard, or, or as you say, does it make it easier because people are going, oh, you're just you're you're a normal person like us, and and you don't need all that advertising and whatever else that that they it, get. It, it's a bit of both. Um, the party machine will put the money where they think they've they need to get elected or they've got the best chances of getting elected. Um, in the Green Party, <laughs> I've never got any money or any funding at all. Uh, I think that's, yeah, I, they, they might have. No, no, from the, for elections, definitely not. I'm trying to think if I've, if I've had any brown envelopes from the Green Party. No, <laughs> I would have remembered that. Uh, and obviously then you've got, to, you've got to sort out the logo and everything else. So if you can put a, decent leaflet together without a party logo on you're okay but on the other hand uh it it's quite difficult if you've never done a leaflet before then it's hard to know what to put on there do you spend the whole time slagging off for conservatives or or do you spend the whole time saying what a wonderful person you are and 
but I've got enough experience in preparing leaflets that I'd be happy to help anybody uh, standing against conservatives put their leaflet together because in order to get elected, you've you've got to do that. It's a double-edged sword uh, because you've, as an independent, you make your mind up how to vote on each and every issue. Uh, but if you've got a party behind you, then you've got other people who are telling you about the issues. Happily, at both Lincolnshire and South Stephen, we've got quite a few independents. And so we do share. I'm not a lone wolf. I'm not a kind of maverick, uh, the only person on the council that, that does any any opposition. Uh, and I do speak to the Lib Dems and, and the, the Labour and the, the other independents. And, and we've got a team. Of course, if you are, if, if any of your listeners are elected as an independent, they may find themselves sitting between two other independents. One might be a fascist and one might be a, a, a raging communist. You, you don't know with independent. But the advantage when you stand on the doorstep is you say, hello, I'm, I'm standing as an independent. And most people will say, oh, yeah, I'm not in a political party either. That must be the man for me, without knowing whether I'm a raving fascist or a raving communist or somewhere in between. And they get a lovely surprise when, when you're not a raving fascist. <laughs> That's what you should put on your leaflets. Ashley, not a raving fascist. Yeah. And you're, uh, but isn't that Labour's policy at the moment? We, we we can't be as bad as the other lot. Yeah, that's it. Not not as crap as them. Uh, I think that's pretty much the only policy. Um, but as, I was going to say as well that it must be a lot of your because that's uh, you know as you say party they have to they have to vote what the party line is. But you're I'm guessing to having put a lot more of your own time into researching, working out your position, having to put your own leaflets together. That's that's quite a lot to do. And I know you you, you work as well. Obviously, being a councillor doesn't doesn't provide you with a five bed mansion and a luxury lifestyle. So, you know, how, that that's is that a hard aspect of being independent as well? The amount of personal time that you have to put into it. Um, I think I would do that if whichever party I was, I, I've, I've not gone into it. I, th- I think there are three reasons why people go into politics of any sort and local politics, especially it's power, status and money. So, you'll get a bit of money, you get you get an allowance. Um, there's there's one couple that are on the council. They're both on the district council, which is £5,000 each. They're both on the county council, which is £10,000 each per year. Um, until recently, they both had chairmanships at, at both councils, which is a, another 5, 10, 15, 20. So between the two of them, as a retired married couple, they were clearing £40,000. Wow. But um, if, if they were doing £40,000 worth of work, I wouldn't have so much issue with it. But just turning up to the meetings is not sufficient work. So on, on the allowances that, that I have, I'm putting a lot of work into opposition, uh, meaning that I want to, I've got to know what's happening. I've got to read the paper, the, the, the documents that, that come through, uh, and I, I've got to do some of the research before I get there, because if you get a document saying um, we're going to spend this much on that issue, you've, you've got to know what that issue and what you're going to get back for it. Uh, also, there it's possible. I, I'm not going to say anything nasty about officers. It is possible that sometimes in a very long document, the bit that you're looking for is hidden in the middle. And it's, it's, it's looking, why, why are they even bringing this to us in the first place? What's the upside? What's the downside? As an opposition councillor, my, my job is not to congratulate them on the upside. I've got to find the bit that, that could be better. 
is it hard uh, going up? You know, you, you sort of said that there shouldn't be kind of big party politics in 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 local governors, but is it is it hard going up against them? Is it is it you know are you able to achieve things as a councillor um, that that are useful for the area when when you're by yourself and you're you're perhaps up against kind of party groups? Yeah. So the first question first uh, is it difficult when you're in a minority so if you take all the non-tories together at south Stephen, they're nearly a third of the chamber and conservatives are two-thirds of a chamber so yes you often feel like you're knocking your head against a brick wall because you'll have a perfectly reasonable argument and then the conservatives will all vote against it anyway sometimes i'm told uh, that it looks as if they're just doing it because I've suggested it because I'm I'm the I'm the moany one I I'm the uh, the independent that that is prepared to stand up against these things uh, and they think oh Ashley suggested it um, purely and I and I, I my sister actually said to me the other day well why don't you do it the other way why why don't you why don't you go in and say let's burn down the council house and then they'll all vote against it uh, on principle because it was my idea and then I, I get what I want I don't. I don't know if that would work, uh, but but then can you achieve anything? Yes, you definitely can. Uh, first of all, you can point out what's right and wrong, and sometimes you can discover what's right and wrong, and you can head it off at the pass. So uh, at one point they were, you remember the statue I mentioned, the Margaret Thatcher statue, which is up in Grantham? Westminster Council didn't want it, and it was offered to uh, Margaret Thatcher's hometown of Grantham, uh, so they were going to put it up. When they first said, we've got this statue, we're going to put it up, they said, and we're going to have a £100,000 party, basically. They'd, they'd listed it all out. They said, right, £2,000 for the invitations, £2,000 for the chair, and £4,000 for the for the red carpet, and, and this and that and the other. And we as opposition said, £100,000? And we were able to make such a song and dance about it that... That didn't go ahead. It was it was a very modest ceremony, uh, which involved the mayor of Grantham dropping the union flag on the floor in front of this. Uh, can you imagine the horror? The horror <laughs> to a conservative town of dropping the national flag on the floor. Sounds very um, patriotic to me. In, yeah. in front of in front of Margaret Thatcher. Um, but yeah, it was a modest ceremony, and they didn't get away with spending the money. If there weren't people like me and other independents on the council, people never would have even known they were going to spend the £100,000 in the first place. Well, that's what I was just going to ask. Is, is it, you know, being a, being a councillor has enabled you to kind of step in the way that, I'm guessing, a, a campaign, there wouldn't have been a campaign because they wouldn't have known. Yeah, that's right. And also, you're somebody that's sitting in the room enabling other people to access it. So we, we had a guy that did a, a big consultation about uh, the Deepings Leisure Centre. Um, the council put together a consultation um, which was supposed to be a meaningful, what we asked for was a meaningful consultation about a new leisure centre. And what we got from the council was a six bullet point survey monkey survey, uh, which went along the lines of, do you think we need a new leisure centre? Do you think these plans we've presented are brilliant? Do you think you would use a leisure centre? And it was all stupid. So we did a proper consultation, or, or a member of the public did a proper consultation, which said, what would you what would you like to use it for? And what what kind of uh, activity do you do at the moment that you might wish to do in Deeping rather than, than, than Stamford? Anyway, uh, when we got to the meeting, 
they weren't even going to listen to him. They weren't going to receive his report. They were they the chair of the meeting said, Oh, well, no, your name's not on the list, you're not you're not entitled. And so I, I was able to make a song and dance and say, <laughs> Chairman, Mr. Chairman, Chairman, uh you we've got his constitution, and that says he's entitled to speak. So so why not let him speak? And then they have a little chat and then say, All right, then on this occasion we'll allow the person to speak. When it's his blooming right to speak. So I'm an advocate in the chamber for people outside the, the chamber. And that's what I'm... And when I'm talking about chamber, I'm talking about the big room where you have the council meeting, not um, in my lady's chamber or anything like that. <laughs> that would be an amazing place. Uh, I like that, just a sort of council offshoot. I don't know what happens in South Stephen. Um, it's uh, you're so patient. That's what I think is is amazing. You you have um, I've been very lucky to get uh, sort of messages from you about some of the things that you've had to deal with. I don't know how you you put up with the bureaucracy and some of the pettiness that that you have to deal with. Um, I I've, I've got to be careful about what I ask you. And so what what was. I think one of the things that really shocked me was the amount of money that was wasted on an investigation that had to be done because I believe you uh, just sort of mispronounced uh, or you didn't say a title correctly. Is that okay? Right? So uh, yeah, this is this is front of mind at the moment because it's it's only recently, but it hasn't even been resolved. It, it's it's they, they've had the hearing on on the third of March last year, and, and we're now in this podcast is February January February. Uh, in March last year, we had a very acrimonious meeting, very poorly organised meeting. Uh, there were things on the agenda that shouldn't have been on the agenda. Uh, the, the the chair didn't know what page she was on. It, it, it was hard work. And during that meeting, I raised various points of order saying, hang on a minute, uh, point of order, uh, this person has a right of reply or point of order, this person has been cut off and, and 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 I pointed out different things and they were all correct so everything every time I mentioned the constitution I was right and they were wrong and that that's not to say that I'm never wrong but on that occasion every time I stood up to say hang on a minute shouldn't we be doing it like that they said oh yeah 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 we should a few weeks before that I had made the uh, error of addressing the chair of the county council as chair rather than chairman and he picked me up on it um i i said to him you have nothing to fear from inclusive language and i lost a bit of credit there i apologized him to him afterwards because he's a nice fella it wasn't about him it was about the inclusive language so we got to the third of march and for 13 meetings this lady had been chairing the meetings and for 13 meetings, I had called her chair on every occasion. I'd consciously not called her chairman. And halfway through meeting 14, about 19 minutes into meeting 14, I'd made this little speech and at the end and I said, thank you very much, chair. And she said, would you mind not addressing me as chair? I'm a chairman. I'm not a piece of furniture. To which I replied, but you're not a man either. And you have nothing to fear from inclusive language. Uh, cue jeering and kind of barracking from the conservative ranks because I'm being so disrespectful to this person. And then the leader of the uh, conservative group hopped up and said, oh, Madam Chairman, um, we really must not spend any more time wasting time on, on this. 
the, the councillor Baxter has already been chastised by the county council. Um, we really must move on. Okay. A couple of more things happened in the meeting where I may or may not have uh, raised points of order. Um, I raised valid points of order. Uh, and that was the end of the meeting. It was a difficult situation. After the meeting, I was quite frustrated, as you might imagine. And I went to some people in the room uh, and I expressed my frustration with the way the meeting had gone. Went home tried to forget all about it. About three weeks, oh, I didn't forget all about it. The following day, I apologised to the people that I had upset in the room. I apologised by email, felt better, forgot all about it. Three weeks later, I, I got a complaint from one Conservative, I can't tell you who, on behalf of the entire Conservative group, and I got a similar complaint from the people in the room that I had upset. Uh, this was a code of conduct complaint because I had showed disrespect to officers uh, and allegedly to the, the chair, chairman of the meeting. Uh, and so started a process of investigation involving external lawyers, involving um, interviews and so on. And the, the initial report came back in September. Uh, and the recommendation from the report was to go to a hearing. They set up a hearing which took place in December. And obviously all the way along, I was having to write um, my defense and my response and, and my reaction. I wrote another apology in, in May uh, to say, look, this is, this is a waste of everybody's time. Why don't we, I, I really am sorry. I really am sorry, uh, but no, 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 we're gonna pursue it because, it, because of the gravity of the offense. Um, it came to the hearing, one of the Conservative group, and remember the complaint was on behalf of the entire Conservative group, one of the Conservative group was on the panel that, that heard the, the complaint, uh, and the panel found that I was not guilty of misbehaviour in the meeting, I was not guilty of disrespecting the chair slash chairman, uh, but I was guilty of breaking the code of conduct because of what I said to the people afterwards. That's the bit that I had already apologised for. It's crackers. How much did it cost, did you say? Did you say how much did it cost? Yes. How the much whole thing cost? has cost over £11,000, mostly in legal fees, £11,000. And that's, I'm, I'm sure that any of your listeners can think of better things for a council to spend its money on. Uh, the, the, the punishment was that, uh, they put on the website that I've been a naughty boy. So you can find that until until May's election. You know, Ashley Baxter was a naughty boy. Go and find the details. Uh, the second punishment was that I had to apologise for a third time. And the, the third one was that I've got to go off and be trained in how to, how to re respect people. Um, I didn't at any point, as, as I'm sure you're aware, and I didn't swear, I didn't use abusive language, I didn't use racist language as somebody else on the council had done about six months ago. Um, he got told off and got a three-month uh, naughty boy notice and, and then was allowed back into the Conservative Party. I didn't threaten anybody, I didn't use violence, I didn't break anything. All I did was hurt somebody's feelings. Uh, 
Anyway, you by, can by tell By being inclusive. You hurt someone's feelings by using yeah. inclusive language, which That's is just bananas. Um, it's absolutely bananas. And I should say for the listeners' sake, I know you wouldn't have sworn because you are someone who, as a long-time uh, listener to this show, you've, you've, you've sent me lovely emails, but also pointed out that I swear far too much, which I understand. Um, but I... I have sworn in my life. Uh, what, it's fine. Really it's fine. I, mean, I don't. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Um, but no. But it is. You use the inclusive language. It's just. I think it is. It is that sort of pettiness, as you say. It's eleven thousand pounds. We're in a cost of living crisis. There are all these things that that people need that people can't afford. It seems like such a ridiculous waste of money over such an archaic rule. I mean, how does how does that stuff not drive you bonkers? It you know it it's. Is that, is that one of those things that really makes us, we really need to reform how councils work or at least modernise them? Um, I think a lot of it is is the people who in, are involved and the attitudes that they have. Uh, the, the person who is now leader of our council is a young man. He's about 30, 32 perhaps, uh, and he got elected when he was 20 or 22 perhaps. And... The first meeting I went to before I was elected, um, he put his hand up to ask a question. I thought, oh, this will be good. He's young, young man, young politician, young conservative, asking a question. And I wonder what it's going to be. Uh, Mr. Chairman, would it be acceptable for us to take our jackets off? And I thought, is this, you're, you're a grown man. You don't need to ask permission to take your jacket off, surely. Just take did he it have off. to ask when he needed the loo as well? Did he have to put his hand up and get permission? <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Um, actually, somebody did ask to go to the loo uh, not that long ago in a planning meeting. And planning meetings kind of go on. Uh, and this this person who was, was also a conservative, but uh, at the, the other end of life, and she had, um, I don't want to go into the details of it, but, but sometimes when you need the loo, you really need the loo. And she asked the first time and she asked the second time. And then she she had to go because uh, she had to leave the room because of a, a medical condition. And because of that, she wasn't allowed to vote on the on the issue that she'd been listening to because she hadn't heard the whole debate. Uh, it's 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 not fair. It's, it's from a from a DDA perspective, a disability discrimination act perspective, that's that, that's wrong thinking. Um more recently, the young man that I mentioned earlier has been to, he sent himself on a training course, which included four nights at Harvard University. Uh, the cost of the council was £5,500. He paid for the flight, very good, but um, great great big course. Harvard University took a big chunk of the training budget and, and gets away with it. I just don't know, I don't know how anyone could think that in this climate, spending £6,000 on your own, personal benefit is is a good thing but i mean it, it, it can't be helped that, that you know a lot of people don't know this is happening i know i know i remember you sent me an article about the eleven thousand pounds that was spent on on the was it an article i believe in your local paper but that's not known generally you know it, it's not a, there's it's not being mentioned in in national press. It's not something that people know about. That how you know we've seen quite a few councils lately are suddenly um yeah. So it's on the scale of things, it's not on the scale of things. It's not a big waste of money. We won't waste loads more than that. We we <laughs> the, the start of this electoral electrical cycle electoral cycle. Uh, the Conservatives at Southgate Stephen were all about setting up trading companies. 
so the, the, the theory is that instead of getting somebody else to cut your grass or to empty your bins uh, or whatever else you do, uh, you set up a company to cut your grass, which is wholly owned by the council. Remember, in the old days, the council used to cut the grass itself. Uh, but but no, that's too uh, socialist. We'll set up a company to cut the grass, which we own, and then that company can go and cut other people's grass, public sector grass, parish council grass, schools. Who knows? There's loads of grass. The, the, uh, the, the, the limits are endless of how much this company can make by cutting other people's grass with the equipment that we're cutting the council's grass. And... Um, Anyway, they, they set this up three or four years ago. Uh, they called it Environment SK. That went along with Invest SK. Um, there's a Gravitas housing. There was going to be Homes SK and there was going to be Deliver SK. Homes SK never got off the ground. Deliver SK, we spent £100,000 finding out that legally it just wouldn't work. Nobody would invest in it. Um, invest SK, we spent £3 million of taxpayers' money basically on a, a glorified PR stunt and and the environment SK we're now talking about shutting it down again so four years ago the conservatives firmly believed in setting these things up within the same electoral cycle the same people are saying no we need to shut this down when the gravitas housing owned by SKDC was going to disrupt the property market we were going to build houses not council houses that's a different project that isn't happening we were going to build townhouses uh, for, for market to, to sell on the open market to regenerate towns and so on um, four years later it's like that company has built 25 houses but it has lost four hundred thousand pounds how could I don't I'm not a, a property speculator but how in this climate how can you lose four hundred thousand pounds <laughs> building houses this is uh, such a terrible so where this money is Going to someone, it's just—is it just being frittered away on all these failed projects? Someone, someone must be. Ben, I'm, I'm guessing the the lawyers are benefiting, or that you know, someone's benefiting from these these payments. There's a lot of changing horses midstream, hmm. uh, and there's a there's two explanations. It's corruption or clock, corruption or cock up. I think mostly in these situations, it's it's cock up. Uh, I'm sure there is corruption in local government. I've got no reason to think that there's. Uh, blatant corruption in Lincolnshire, certainly our end of Lincolnshire. Um, a lot of people, when they see planning decisions, they say, oh, come, someone must have got a backhander for that. But it's really quite difficult for the council to, to oppose development. The development, I, I say it's like terrorists uh, in that the, the council has got to succeed in blocking the, the plan. Oh, I don't say blocking, we're not blocking everything. The, plan, the, the council has got to succeed in getting the right planning decision for the community every time. The developer has only got to win once. Right. So they can put in a planning application for something stupid, we can reject it. They can put it in again, we can reject it. They can put it in in a slightly different format. Sooner or later, they'll get it through because either people aren't aware or... Um, there's new rules being given out by the government because you you see the government changes its planning regulations every week. I mean, they change the planning minister every six months. So, what what chance have we got? We need we're all we need we do need the houses, but we need the houses in the right place. So, uh, going back to what's it like to be a councillor? You've got to 
be aware that there are two sides to each argument. In my county ward, there's a big application for solar farm. Uh, and in another part of my ward, there's a big application for a quarry. I think it's deliberate because my, my ward is only so big and they're putting a, <laughs> the biggest solar farm in the UK on one side and a great big quarry on the other side. There's going to be nothing left. Anyway, um, I've been an advocate of renewable energy all my life. I can't, with a with a straight face, say absolutely no way, no solar panels in, in deeping. No, that's, that's, that's too much because we need the energy. We've got an impending catastrophe of climate change. We've got to get it from somewhere. The government has done absolutely nothing in terms of putting uh, legislation in to make people put solar energy on roofs. Uh, wind turbines are just as unpopular. Uh, but on the other hand, I've got loads of residents saying, oh, no, that means that when I go for a walk, I'll have to look at solar panels and and, and not and not open, open fields of uh, agricultural land. Um, the best agricultural land is being defended. The, the ropey agricultural land is where they're planning to build it. Uh, it's also near... Anyway, without getting into the details of the Mallard Pass Solar Farm, uh, Google it. You, you've, you've, you've got to weigh up both sides. And uh, I don't want to be a, a NIMBY, uh, but on the other hand, people do have backyards and their quality of life is affected by what happens right next door to them. Why... Um... You you were telling me that obviously the May election is very important. Have you got to run again in May? Yes, uh, I've got to run again in May. I'm I'm quite confident. I hope I'm not overconfident, but I'm quite confident that I am going to be re-elected in to the district council. The sad thing is that the reason for my confidence is that the district council have shut down the leisure centre in my in my town. They they said uh, four years ago they put on leaflets. We are going to build a brand new purpose-built leisure centre in the Deepings. Then they downgraded it to, we are going to refurbish the existing 50-year-old centre uh, and make it good for at least another 25, 30 years. We're going to spend £10 million on it. And then more recently, they've said, oh, actually, no, we're not going to spend any money on it. Um, and in that time, the existing leisure centre has been shut because it's got a leaky roof above the sports hall, above the swimming pool. And so I'm part of the campaign to get that centre reopened. And also to say to uh, the Conservatives, you lied. You lied. You put blatant lies on your leaflet. One, one of the con local Conservatives said, we have secured the land and the funds necessary for a new leisure centre. And he was called out as a liar in all kinds of different ways. And we were... And they get away with it. They get away with it because because your listeners are not standing for council. If they, if if your listeners uh, hear anything from this, if they are remotely interested in politics, they need at least to stand, because standing doesn't mean winning, uh, and it's quite difficult to win as an independent or as an alternative voice. Whether that's a a, a Labour voice on a Conservative council. Even I don't know how many of your listeners would fall into this category, but but a Conservative councillor on a Labour council, uh, because in in Nottingham, I think Nottingham, there are fifty two Labour councillors out of fifty five council councillors, so there are only three opposition voices. That's not healthy, even even if it's the other way around. Uh, so, yeah, they 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 need to stand. 
it will frighten the people with the rosettes on if if they stand or if they turn up to a local party meeting if they turn up to their local constituency labor party meeting and say hello i'd like to stand they will be greeted with with open arms uh, unless they're standing in the seat that that brian's always had uh, that that causes a trouble but anyway that's their problem as an independent you can stand where you like against who you like uh, and it, it 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 frightens them and then the other thing is to your listeners They've got to win. <laughs> they've got to. They've got to act as if they're going to win. And when they do win, they've got to continue to speak truth to power. That, that's what I feel like I am able to do. I, I might not have the decision making power, but I do have the opportunity to 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 put a mirror up to the Conservatives and say, "What on earth are you doing? Why are you such hypocrites? Why are you wasting so much money? Why 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 are why is there one rule for you and another for us?" or rather no rules for you. It's the same. So, so when you look at what's happening nationally in terms of people uh, taking electorate for granted, wasting money, doing things that, that common sense says are wrong and unjust, it's all happening at local government as well. I, 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 I'm constantly in awe of, of um, the fact that you keep doing that, that you're absolutely standing up for for what you believe in while being a, an independent counsellor against all of against the, the sort of investigations that you have to deal with um I, you know is is it, i suppose two, two things one is that you know um every, every, all the spotlight is always on mps and it's always on parliament and actually you know what you're saying is, is it's it's really important that people get in there on the local level and there are things that you can be influential in and you can have a kind of voice at, at that level if people were to stand. Um, and the and the other thing I, I suppose to, to add that as well is, you know, is it do people need to look more at voting for an independent in in these May elections? Because I mean, obviously investigate who they'd be voting for and, and make sure they're not a raving fascist. But you know, I, I think a lot a lot of times people overlook independence as thinking, well, if I vote for this party, it gets that party out, and and vice versa. But should we be changing? how we think and, and be investigating all these people properly and say, right, let's vote for someone different that can provide a different voice. Yeah. Um, but you're living in a utopian fantasy where people um, think rationally <laughs> and vote. The, I don't want to put down the electorate, but, but I am going to put down the two thirds of the electorate that don't vote, that won't vote in the May elections. So uh, if your listeners are not going to vote in the May elections, Oh, happily, they're idiots. They're idiots. Uh, if they do vote in the May elections, they're not. They're not such idiots uh, because they've taken the time at least to go to the polling station. So uh, we've got we've we've got ten ten people. Seven, seven, six or seven of them are not going to vote. Of the remaining three or four, uh, some of them are going to vote because their grandfather always voted Tory or their grandfather always voted Labour. Some of, are, some of them are going to vote because they knew Bill down the pub or he once got a pothole fixed for them or he's a friend of... And, and it's the, the reasons why people will vote are just crazy. So I'm not saying don't vote for Brian. He's probably a, a, a good bloke, that bloke down the pub who said, I'm going to put it to them and so I've joined the Conservatives in, in order to change the world. But if he joins the Conservatives, he's not going to change the world. If he joins Labour, he's unlikely to change the world. Um, in fact, if he gets onto the council, he's unlikely to change the world. But in terms of getting the pothole fixed, the independent council is going to make more of an effort because he needs your vote. He needs your vote more or she needs your vote more. Um, so, 
yeah, it, it can be frustrating. And often people vote for the person they've heard of as well, which is good for me now because I've been elected for eight years to the district council and people people know I'm the bloke that champions the leisure centre and I'm the one that was involved in the Save the Library campaign uh, and I'm the one that did this, that and the other. But we want to get other... The, the only way you can get name recognition is by doing something. One of the best ways to do something is to get yourself elected. So it's a, it's a vicious circle. So if if you've got a community profile, you've got to big yourself up in the leaflet. And pe- English people are not very good at that, are they? I mean, if you say to someone, are you good at swimming? They'll say, oh, yeah, yeah I'm reasonably good. And then you find out later that they were uh, trialling for the Olympics or something. It, 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 it's not good to, to boast. And I, I don't like boasting, but when you're standing for an election, You've got to say what you've done and you've 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 got to not be shy about what you're going to do about it. If you look at Conservatives and Labour, they, they used to put promises on their leaflets. They've stopped doing it now. Because if you put a promise on the leaflet, you've you can be held to account for it. But I, th- I think independents can genuinely say, I'm going to stand up for, for what I feel most residents want, or uh, in fact. You don't even have to say that because sometimes most residents w- will be to the contrary of, of the, the small number of residents that actually need a facility. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I was the thing you said about we're, we're not good as, uh, as as English people would like about boasting. But that's why I always think it's weird that the national, the, the kind of British values meant to have Britain's the best country and we're the great country. And actually, if the if the government voice was the national voice, it'd be like, we're all right. We're not that good. <laughs> it should be a bit more like how we are as people. We're, we're okay. You know, it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it, to be uh, to supposedly be patriotic when there's people that is not our trait whatsoever. I, I, I think I'm patriotic, but I don't believe in British values. I, I think they're, they're self-evidently contradictory because we, on the one hand, we're all free to, to express ourselves however we like. Uh, and on the other hand, we 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 have to respect everybody's opinion about oh, it. Yeah. So so if I if I do if I don't like what you're doing, you've you've got the right to to do it. Uh, but and I've got to respect you for doing it. But on the other hand, I've still got the right to say I don't like you doing it. It, it just no, doesn't doesn't make I, sense. I used to do a joke about the the fact that you know our British values are that people coming here should learn the language. But actually, British values would be they should come here, point at stuff, and shout it in their own language until we give it to them. That would be real British values, um, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that that would be great. And the other one that that bugs me is is uh, is it religious tolerance? Uh, or, or tolerance we go around tolerating people and i think maybe that is a british value yeah. that, <laughs> that what we aspire to be what we aspire to be as british people is going around tolerating people <laughs> and maybe maybe we tolerate too much i think we do particularly on the left i think i think we tolerate far, far too, too many people far, far too many uh, well, listen, Ashley, it's, it's a delight to finally get you on on the podcast. And I appreciate that you've listened for so long. And I appreciate that you've, you've um, thoroughly entertained me with stories about, about your your council happenings. Um, uh, and, and I appreciate being so candid about the, the whole process. Um, the one last question, which I've got to ask you, because I always ask everyone on this, and you know this, um, is just, you know, who who do you read up on? Who, who do you go to for info? Uh, is there anyone that you'd recommend listeners check out, whether it's about local politics or just, just anything, really, that... Uh, other than your excellent podcast, um, and I encourage everybody to, to re-listen to the previous 298 episodes. Um, I mean, I listen to to the some of the podcasts, but in terms of how local government works in the UK, uh, the LGA is a, a good source. That's the Local Government Association. 
Um, they have a campaign, I think, called Be A Counselor, and it's either hashtag Be A Counselor or dot com Be A Counselor or something like that, but Be A Counselor. Uh, that gives you the Electoral Commission will tell you how to stand because you've got to get your paperwork in on time. Really, if people are thinking of standing, they need to get on with it. They need to get on with it now. They should be knocking on doors now um, because from a standing start, you can't just roll up on the day of nominations and expect to win. It won't work. You've, you've got to start uh, writing letters to the media so that people have, have heard of you. Um, so there's a book and it's called 101 Ways to Win an Election. There's a book and it's 101 ways to win an election. Uh, it's by a fellow called Mark Pack and Edward Maxfield, who are Lib Dems, but don't let that put you off because Lib Dems are quite good at winning elections locally. They are kind of the party of local elections, which is another thing that's wrong. Um, I would certainly follow all the, the Twitter accounts about getting PR done. Proportional representation would revolutionise politics in this country, and especially at a local level. Um, if people want to get in touch with me, I'll help them as far as I can, um, given my time and resources. Um, get in touch. I tell you, the best people to get in touch with would be the councillors in your area, not necessarily in your ward, because they'll want to get re-elected. But speaking to, if, if you're in a Labour ward or a Conservative ward, and there are other independents on the council that, that represents you... Get in touch with them. They will be delighted to hear from you. They will be delighted that you're thinking of standing. Obviously, it varies from, from place to place to place. Uh, but just having someone, because I think the first time I, I was elected, there were only three of us, uh, or maybe four of us in the independent group. Uh, and one of them was pretty much a Tory. Uh, but now we've got 10 or 12. Uh, and there's a, a lot more bandwidth for us to keep an eye on, on what they're up to. Uh, so. Yeah, there are some other books about independence having got elected. They're not as good. This one is the the, the, the manual. This is the Haynes Manual of Elections. Um, but you're going to struggle to read it because between now and May, you've got to deliver, deliver 3,000 leaflets. Um, so get on, get on with it. Huge thanks to Ashley for being so open about his job and his work. And if you'd like to follow him or ask questions about how you could run as an independent candidate, then he's on Twitter at DeepingDo, or you can find his councillor page via southcastephen.gov.uk. And if you are in the market in Deeping area, make sure you get out in May and vote Ashley back in. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast with just one more to go next week. So why not not bother spreading the word and just enjoy it all to yourself? Because, hey, you deserve it. But if you do fancy buying me a coffee as thanks for your enjoyment of this work, then throw something at ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro. Big cheers is to Acast, The Last Skeptic and Cat Day. And this will be back for one last go next week when Rishi Sunak hires new party chair Boris Johnson after insisting the cabinet needs a breath of fresh air and integrity, announcing there is zero way this man will be careless with his taxes as he mostly gets other people to pay them for him. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by Rob's Guide to Bullying. 432 new ways to really antagonise your colleagues, family and friends, ranging from low-key insisting on incorrect name pronunciation all the way to using them as case studies for your plans to eradicate human rights or just making them try to explain to you what the English Channel is.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.